Hello, and welcome to the Rothwell Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence podcast. Our mission here at RCTLE is to empower faculty members in their pursuits of professional growth through diverse offerings for the universal goal of student success. Each episode will offer insight into best teaching practices, new resources, and interesting people here at Embry-Riddle Worldwide. At the end of this episode, you will have an opportunity to offer your input about the podcast. Please take a moment to fill out the survey linked in the episode description, as your feedback is important to us. We hope you will find our show to be helpful and enlightening. Happy listening! On today's episode, we have a very special guest, Dr. Jim Solti, and he is the current department chair for graduate studies here in the College of Aeronautics. So how are you today, Jim? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you, Caitlin? I'm good. I'm good. So we'll just go ahead and jump right into it. Can you go ahead and tell us about your background and how you ended up with Embry-Riddle Worldwide? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, First of all, thanks for having me here and I look forward to the conversation. Um, So I grew up in a small town outside of Cleveland, Ohio. My father had immigrated from Budapest, Hungary. Uh, He had no formal education. So we grew up in a very modest household. Um, Nobody was going to college, uh, but for my mom having a good sense of uh, kicking me out of the house and getting me into the Air Force to start my professional career. Would I have even thought of Embry-Riddle. And so, you know, as I joined the Air Force, I began to appreciate and learn about this concept of flight, right? Aircraft performance. And then as I grew throughout my career, I really learned about what the military will call air power. So military aviation, and really it's the application of capability, both in the air, on the ground, in space, et cetera, in order to accomplish some given mission. And military aviation, I've, I've learned to discover, is only one small piece of the aviation ecosystem. And really what drew me to Emory-Riddle was, number one, the reputation here, being a world-class aerospace leader, but also the gaps in my life were really about commercial aviation and general aviation, and to really understand uh, even from an academic standpoint, what you know, what that community was a- about, and how it interacted, and how it behaved, and so Emma Riddle was a natural draw for me to learn more about that. And you know, I've been here three and a half years now, and I, I continue to study it. I, I learn about our students, I learn about our industry partners, and I'm just proud as heck to to be part of this effort. Yeah, I think that's great. And I didn't know that. Are you? Does this technically make you first generation? It does. No, yeah, my so my dad was well. He, him and his, his his two siblings were in Budapest during the Second World War, and you know they immigrated over when my father was eight. And my grandfather, long story short, ended up in uh, northern Siberia in one of the concentration camps. And my grandmother brought my uh, my father, his sister, and his brother to the U.S. over time, and then. Eventually, one of the coolest stories that we should talk about sometime is, you know, after the Second World War, the the Soviets just opened up those camps. So now Mm -hmm. here's my grandfather with nothing in northern Siberia, not knowing anything about the disposition of his wife or his children. And he spent the next few years walking um, back to Hungary, only to find out that my grandmother was in Germany, gets to Germany only to find out that they had immigrated to Cleveland, Ohio. Long story short, he ends up coming 
you know, that they're reunited in Cleveland. He's able to hold me right before he passes away oh in gosh. a rocking chair, feeding me peaches. Anyways, uh, that history is, you know, interesting, has nothing to do with maybe what you're looking for today. But I'm grateful for my mom for, you know, kicking me out. And for the military and for our country for giving me the opportunities to, you know, be educated and have the opportunities I've had. Absolutely. And I think that that puts you in a really cool position. You have that military background, but you also have like this first generation experience and you can relate to a lot of our students in a really different way, I think. And I think that's really cool that you have such a rich history. I had no idea. Um, Definitely talk more about that. But as we move through this, because we'll talk a little bit more about your military background, but just kind of walk us through that decision of moving from active duty and, you know, being in the military to higher education. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I retired from the Air Force after 25 years on active duty out of Eglin Air Force Base and had the opportunity to go back to uh, the Air Force Academy uh, to be there in a civilian role. And after about five years there, I I realized my whole adult career had been associated with the the Air Force and I wanted to try something different. And so, you know, I applied for a number of jobs here on the East Coast in in this local areas. And I was fortunate to get a, you know, a, a few offers. And what really drew me to higher education, not just the mission of, of what we're doing here in, you know, I just talked a little bit about my career, but enabling uh, working adults and military professionals and veterans to go from whatever status they might be to maybe, you know, a different career in a different, you know, in this exciting evolving industry that we call aviation and aerospace and provide opportunities for them and their families just like the military gave me the opportunities that I had. But the, the real reason I ended up at Emmerville was, was the people. You know, I was fortunate enough to be at a place in my life where I didn't have to accept just any job. And so what's important in life is to s- surround yourself with good people. And whether it be Dr. Witcher, Dr. Tread, or the colleagues I've come to know here, uh, one thing that this campus has, you know, that we're replete in is just really good individuals. And and if I have to come to work every day, I want to surround myself with that. And, and I, I use the word that they're like-minded, and I don't mean that they're, it's not diverse by any means. In fact, there are, you know, various opinions, um, you know, diversity in, in all aspects. And there are arguments, as you know, you know, each and every day. But what you find out is at the end of the day, those people are there in your corner when you need them. And Work is work, but then, you know, friends and colleagues are friends and colleagues. And now being old and gray, that's not the case everywhere. And so I'm grateful to have landed here at Amherst Riddle. Yeah, and I, I think that's really important that we have people that want to help our military students, military population, veterans kind of transition those skills into something outside of the military. I mean, there are career military folks who stay in until retirement, of course, but those skills that you learn in the military are so versatile that I think it's great that there are advocates like you who are trying to show these students how to use those skills out in like the civilian world. 
I do want to kind of go back because I know you had a pretty impressive title when you were still working in the military. I don't know if that was a civilian position. It was, yeah, yeah. So my last job at the Air Force Academy was as the chief scientist of the U.S. Air Force Academy, which is the greatest title ever. Yeah. Uh, But the odd thing is there was no chiefing and no science associated with it, really. It's it's not unlike my current job. Um, Really what it is is to be an advocate for the students, in, in that case, the cadets, right, to go out and find opportunities to bring in monies or, you know, sponsors for research for them. And so, you know, when I look at sort of of what you and I and everybody else here at headquarters do and, and all the rest of the faculty and staff that are distributed, it is really that. It's it's focused on the students. So I really think of us as a bridge, right? We have this great student body who are trying to accomplish something, right? To to get an education in order to further their career. And then we have this industry that needs really high quali- quality people, educated people. And we are, you know, matching them up almost one for one in some cases through the degrees that we offer. And more importantly, through the knowledge, skills and abilities that we're teaching to these students that we're educating them to. At that time, when you joined the Air Force, did you have a degree or did you join before you had even gotten your bachelor's? Yeah, it's a great question. So, no, I, I didn't. In fact, I had hair down in my middle of my back. It was feathered. <laughs> I used to blow dry and curl it. So it was a the 80s with David Hasselhoff. And, yeah. so, uh, and like I said, we didn't have money or a background of, of going to to college. Unfortunately, I probably should confess this on, on a podcast, but my mom, I'm grateful for her. She filled out applications to the Air Force Academy for me. Um, she actually wrote the essays and forged my signature and got me in. She, you know, queued me up for the interviews, et cetera. And uh, I'm almost embarrassed to, to admit, I, I wasn't even sure what the Air Force Academy was or, you know, even what state it was located in after I was even accepted. And my mom's like, you go here. And so I started out, I showed up and discovered people yelling at me on a bus. And, <laughs> um, but that began what turned out to be a 30 year journey uh, where the yeah, the military gave me a bachelor's degree, three master's degrees, um, a PhD. They sent me overseas to Europe. They sent me to, you know, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan and the Horn of Africa. Uh, they taught me how to be a decision maker and a leader. I led teams from as small as a few handful to 300, 400 people. And so, you know, just just that path, um, I'm so grateful for. And now, like you mentioned, being here at Emeryville, um, still in the aviation community, still being in a place where I can help others is really rewarding to me. And then to surround myself with people like yourself and, and others here that, you know, come to work each day to enable that, what a better place to be. I think it's amazing that your mother applied for you. I don't think you should be embarrassed because obviously you took that as, you know, the first open door and you went with it and you made it what it was. But that's amazing how supportive she was. And she she just saw the life for you and she wanted to make sure it happened. So that's amazing. So you have... I talked to Dr. Witcher about this too, about these professionals at Embry-Riddle that have all of this military field experience. You have gone all over the world. You've seen all of these different things, but you also have a lot of education um, and you're passionate about education. So I guess my question to you, for our faculty members, 
what is the number one thing that our instructors can do to make sure that students do receive an education that holds up in the field? A great question. You know, before coming to, to Worldwide, I had never taken or taught an online course. And so first and foremost, this my, my response will be specific to sort of the online community, because I think it is a little different in a residential campus yeah. where you get to see the students face to face each day and you can mentor them. So how do we try to replicate that in an asynchronous manner or in a distance manner? And that's something that, you know, has evolved for me. I, I'll tell you my very first term here, you being on the quality manager team, you can go back and look at my performance. It was really bad. <laughs> and it was because, you know, we had these fixed shells and um, I wasn't quite sure what I was doing. And, and so I stood there nervous and silent almost that first module waiting for the first student to submit something so I could give pour my heart into them. Right. Yeah. And, and so but I quickly learned that I'm doing that after that module's over. Sometimes they go back and look at my feedback. Sometimes they don't. In either case, it was very impersonal. So I guess my advice would be to uh, for the faculty to find ways to engage upfront. And there are certainly challenges to that. But I've discovered those hurdles aren't as high as they might seem. And so what I try to do, and I know a number of faculty already do this, is to, to reach out to the students individually to make it a personalized and engaging experience to provide video feedback to them and also for me within the modules to all edit the actual template and I will try to motivate it. I will try to tell stories. I will try to focus their efforts. I will try to clarify things that are confusing. And so I'm engaged all week in trying to help make sure that the product that the student turns in at the end of the week is more focused and more substantive and so that they do better. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, I discovered a couple things. Yeah, I have to spend a little bit more time up front, but the product I get in the back is better. So that's a win for the student. It's a win for me because it doesn't take me as long to grade that paper. Mm -hmm. And then I'm actually teaching versus scoring, i.e. I'm teaching throughout the week versus just scoring, you know, their, their responses that are at the beginning of the following week, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I think it's a better model. And, you know, just anecdotally, my students uh, reach out more and more and, and are appreciative of that. They know somebody's watching. They know somebody cares. They know somebody's engaged. And so that increases their motivation level um, to perform better as well. And so their performance naturally increases. So I, I guess that was the long answer. The short mm -hmm. answer is to be empathetic, to think about this online education model and figure out how you can try to attempt to make it almost like a classroom environment where there's this personalized engagement. And, and that will manifest for everybody differently. And it will manifest differently in each course because each course is different. So, uh, but if a, a you know an instructor just sits back and reflects, then I bet you can find uh, you know different techniques in order to to accomplish that same objective. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing you said that stood out is that you often tell stories, I'm kind of sharing subject matter expertise. I think here at Embry-Riddle more than anywhere else, one of the requirements to really even be brought on is that you have extensive field experience. 
So one of the things we often tell instructors is, you know, share those stories, share that subject matter expertise, tell the students what you have seen in the field or what you are seeing in the field, the things that they're going to come into contact with on a regular basis. And it also kind of humanizes the instructor because sometimes it's hard when you can't see somebody in person face to face that they feel like, you know, you're not just a robot grading their papers. You know, you have life experience, you have these really cool stories, you have all of these things to offer them. And it does make them a little bit more excited and more more willing to engage with the professor, which is sometimes I know nerve wracking for students. Absolutely. You know, you going back as you were talking, my father popped popped in my head again. So mm-hmm. I, I, I mentioned he has no formal education. So here I am, you know, randomly have all these graduate degrees. My father never graduated from high school yet. He's probably the smartest individual I know. Yeah. And so when I go home and we work on projects together, he's very mechanically inclined. I, I have a PhD in mechanical engineering. My dad can fix everything. I can do the math associated with it. And so it's two different worlds, but yeah. we've, we've built this bond over time where we've been able to appreciate what each can bring to you know a given problem. Mm-hmm. What I find is, because you mentioned our non-traditional students working adults or military, I mean, we have young military airmen, uh, you know, that are fixing and working on F-22 aircraft, right? State-of-the-art military planes. And when they come into our engineering programs, just as an example, they might not understand the mathematics. They may be scared of the mathematics. But guess what? They're doing that each and every day as they turn different um, wrenches and they look at tech manuals and they're plugging in their laptops to upgrade avionics, et cetera. And Mm -hmm. so I think it does, you know, what can't happen in a fixed template is providing them that context of, look, yeah, the math seems scary, but all the math is doing is is what you're seeing on, uh, on the aircraft, you know, each and every day and what you're doing each and every day. And to be able to provide that encouragement in that context really goes a long way. And if you're not getting into the class, if you're not reaching out to the student, then they're just intimidated by it and fumbling through it and trying to make those connections themselves. And and that's, you know, that's challenging. Yeah, I think that's a perfect segue. So thank you for setting me up (laughs) for our next question, because we do have a really large population of military students, non-traditional students. So how is the military student population different than our traditional students? And really how can our instructors provide the best support possible to these non-traditional military students? Um, one thing I've discovered at Emmer-Riddle, it, and I'll, I'll even go to the graduations themselves. You know, when I when I was at the Air Force Academy and I attended the graduations, here we have first-time college students that are graduating, and it's a wonder, wondrous event. But when I went to my first Emmer-Riddle graduation for Worldwide, and I've gone to several since, boy, the the atmosphere is just different. The pride is just different. The family's cheering is just different because now we have 30, 40, 50 year old men and women who've been working towards this goal for a long time to not only achieve something for themselves, but for their families. And it's almost this new career path later in life. And I, I, I don't know, I, I find myself almost tearing up every Emeritus graduation where yeah. that was not the case before. And so there's something special about that in working with these non-traditional students. And whether it be the military or the working adults, um, you know, they're often juggling multiple balls. They have careers, they have families, they 
trying to get their education. And so I think, you know, one thing for me that I would encourage all the faculty to do is just remember that, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll be able to just grade from an academic standpoint, the submission that they put in, but to realize, again, military may be deploying, they may be you know, working long hours. And that's true for our, you know, our civilian um, student population as well. So just to be empathetic and to understand that people have things going on in their lives that we might not understand, especially in this remote environment, that's uh, difficult to, to find. And then all of a sudden, if you see a student's behavior change, right, maybe they're doing well and all of a sudden, you know, they begin to fall off, their performance begins to decrease just reach out again in an empathetic way as a human and say, hey, is everything all right? So I think those little things can go a long way of just humanizing sort of our profession here. I think that's nice. And they, you know, they do appreciate that. And I think when they come into contact with instructors who are empathetic and who are kind of understanding and are willing to work with them, I think the affinity for Embry-Riddle becomes greater as well. So it's really just a win-win situation all around. Yeah. Kind of switching gears here. You're currently the department chair of the graduate department here at Embry-Riddle Worldwide in the College of Aeronautics. So what is your favorite part about being in this leadership position? You know, and this is probably cliche, but it's, it really is the people I get to work with. So, you know, one of the great things about being in the graduate department are the experiences of the full-time faculty and, and the adjunct professors. Talk about people who have had amazing careers in the aviation and aerospace industry and are subject matter experts. I, you know, I get to interact with them on a daily basis and learn. And I've discovered, you know, over my career how narrow and how little I really know about things. And so, uh, learning from them each and every day. And then, you know, the other thing is, I'm so grateful that I'm here at headquarters. As as weird as that might sound. I think if I was trying to be, you know, working from a home, I just don't have that disposition to build those relationships with the, the colleagues and staff here within the, the campus here is important. And, you know, that motivates me to, to come to work and to continue to build those relationships so that when, you know, when we need to move the mission forward, that's not done through politic or bureaucracy or, or paperwork. That's done through relationships. And to be able to build those uh, here at headquarters really enables all of us to advance the mission in a way that we probably couldn't do if we were all sitting at home trying to do it completely remotely. And it's good to hear that your leadership principles are, you know, learning from the people you're working with and not, you know, ruling with an iron fist. <laughs> good to hear you're listening to your people, Dr. Salty. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not smart enough or capable enough to, to, to rule or to direct them. Um, but hopefully I'm a good listener and uh, the, the role of any good leader is to, to create a vision and a direction and then to empower your team to accomplish it. And so, you know, I'm grateful that I haven't had any issues with, with any individual and uh, I've been uh, blessed with a, a great team that's able to move the ball down the court. That's awesome. They're lucky to have you. All right. So our last question to wrap things up, you know, a little different. So I've heard that you're a prolific poker player in your free time, which I think is really cool. And we should talk about that. But do you think that the skills required in poker translate to teaching? Yeah, you know, when uh, I've been asked this question a, a couple times and 
I think my response has been evolving as I go through. So I th yes, I think there are lessons to be learned in any strategic game, right, that you can bring to real life. Yeah. But what I've discovered about the reason I play poker is because so we all need a place to go to recharge our batteries, right? Mm -hmm. So there are people who run, there are people who read, there are people who, who go to church, there are people who, you know, play music, there are people who curl up in the fetal position, you know, have to work every day for an hour, you know, <laughs> whatever that might be to just recharge your batteries, to get perspective, to recenter yourself. And, and I don't know why sitting at a poker table does that for me but it just does. You know, I think what's important is that whether we engage in the classroom or, or with our colleagues in, in our work environment, that we give everything we have, right, each and every day. And if you're going to do that, that's just draining. We have to find ways to whatever, to recenter ourselves and recharge our batteries in whatever that form or fashion might look like. And yeah, for me, I'm grateful to be right by a casino here and, and get to go after work for maybe an hour, see a bunch of friends, laugh, um, maybe make enough money for dinner. Um, <laughs> and, and so that that allows me to just decompress from the day. Again, I think that's important for all of us to find that and to, you know, schedule time for that as well, because, you know, this is this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so we all need to um, make sure that one, we're watching out for each other, but that we do take time away in whatever shape, form or fashion to, to, to be alone with ourselves, if you will. Yeah, and I think that's a great message and very timely, especially now. I mean, even before the pandemic, it's obviously important to take time for yourself and to recharge, but especially during the pandemic and all the outside stressors that everyone is having to deal with, I think pandemic burnout is definitely a thing. And we need to make sure that we are taking time for ourselves, especially for those adjunct professors or you know anybody who's working from home and they're working, you know, working from home and you're not necessarily like in a face to face position. I think sometimes it can be easy to forget that, you know, you're still expending a lot of mental energy on your job, even though you're sitting behind a computer and at home. Um, so I think that's an important message. Like, yes, get up, find something that you love to do and do it often. That way you are able to give the best of yourself to your students and to education and all of that. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you taking the time. I know you're very busy. <laughs> no, I appreciate your time, Caitlin. You have a great day and thanks for, for allowing me to do this. That's all we have today. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Please take a moment to fill out the survey linked in the episode description as your feedback is important to us. If you have any questions or even suggestions for topics you'd like to hear in the future, feel free to leave a comment below or send an email to rctle at erau.edu.